Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to start back up in Luke chapter number 18. We're going to begin in verse number 9, and we're going to look at the difference between the Pharisee in the temple of the Lord and the tax collector. Now, keeping in mind that Jesus has oft been dealing with the Pharisees for the last chapter since, really, chapter number 10, and, and has been battling through different scenarios in dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes and the, as being called lawyers. But he also has a pretty large multitude following him that encompass tax collectors. And of course, uh, Levi being one of the tax collectors that is now one of his apostles, Jesus is utilizing the point of the tax collector because in the eyes of the Pharisees and the scribes, these are seen to be some of the lowest forms of human life that exist, bordering on the idea that if they would be human at all. So <clears throat> Jesus utilizes this point to, to make his point about how we approach God in our prayer life, but as well in our religious life. So to get started, let us turn to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon us today. Father, again, we are very grateful for everything you are doing for us, in us, with us, and through us. We pray that you will be with us this day, that we may be able to rejoice in the work of your hands and the word of your glory. We ask that you will give us this day our daily bread, Lord, that you will give us wisdom to know how to receive your word so that we are a people who are prepared to share your word. Bless it to our souls, Lord, that we may rejoice in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, we are going to be looking at verse number 9 to begin with. We're going to be reading down in the first portion of this to verse number 14. And the scripture goes forward to say, And he also told this parable to someone who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So, the very reasoning behind this particular parable is for those who would trust in themselves in the fact that they were righteous and not care about anyone else. And believe me, there very possibly may be some just like that. And if you say, well, I don't know of anybody like that, then it could be you. <laughs> so let's take a look. <clears throat> Verse number 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners and unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But when the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The connection of Jesus' parable here. In this section of, of Luke chapter number 18, is very valuable to us to remember where we are before a righteous and holy God. Now, it's, it's very possible for us to get a little bit high-minded every now and then, especially when we are, we are uh, used to receiving praise or we're used to, to being thought very highly of. I know how difficult it must be for several of the tele-evangelist or television-type pastors 
that that would have thousands of people reaching out to them on a on a, on a weekly basis, just praising them for the work that they're doing, or praising them for the messages that they give on on the air, and and just letting that get to their head, so as to actually believe themselves to be someone greater than what they really are. And that was the reality that Jesus is bringing out concerning these Pharisees and scribes. And it's a warning that Jesus would be giving also to his disciples so as not to be so high-minded that we would think more of ourselves than we truly are, but that we would find those who are struggling and we would lift them up and help them and that we would find those that are high-minded and that we would share the truth with them that God's word could lower them down. Either way, our, our purpose and mission as being the children of God is not to find ourselves at, at a position of holiness or highness above anyone else, but that, that we would uh, recognize our place before our Savior and, and at His throne that we would see Him high and lifted up and serve Him in His rightful place in our hearts as our King. <clears throat> so Jesus makes it known by this Pharisee the pride of a man, as he would be saying in verse number 11, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Well, the very point of this, this praise to God is really a praise to himself and the fact that he sees himself as being so much better than other men. He said that I thank you that I'm not like other men. But the reality is, is that he is. He's just like other men. He's just like all the other men who would actually despise or reject God for the sake of their own selves, their own fame, or their own fortune. <clears throat> as believing that they have done this uh, as concerning themselves and, and not realized that it was God's blessing that had made them thus, um, he's just like them. He said, I'm not like extortioners. But the issue behind this is the temple tax and the synagogue tax that would be taking place inside of, of every community and of all of Israel. That these taxes would be a means by which the Pharisees would, would draw their, their paychecks and that, that these taxes would be a levy that would cause them to be able to enjoy the finer living, the, the higher level of income living, the, the more expensive houses, the, the more expensive transportation. And, and, and at this, it would be using the parishioners of their synagogues for the benefit of themselves instead of recognizing the value of the synagogue for the whole community. And those monies that were given to the synagogue, indeed by the people, were given for the right purpose. For they understood the necessity of the tithe and, and their faithfulness to God, that their money wouldn't be their God, but that they would recognize God in the giving of their tithes. <clears throat> and that those synagogues were meant to be places where the, the orphans and the widows would be able to receive of, of a blessing, to be able to survive in a world that, that did not afford women an income, so to speak, that did not afford orphans or or uh, children that, that had no homes with the availability of, of being able to be provided for. And so the synagogue was supposed to be, like the church today, a place that, that gathered the funds that would be brought to the Lord for the glory of his praise to go forth into his community, uh, serving the people of the community and being a blessing. But of course, as it is in our modern days, so also it was in their day that those monies often were, were turned into war zones, 
uh, to be utilized as the way that people believe that they should be used instead of for the purpose that God intended for it to be used and for the glory of themselves or the glory of their building or the glory of their their own personal families without consideration of missions, without consideration of, of those local communities that, that are around them that need that assistance. Well, this was the same thing that was happening here. So as being extortioners, he, he believed himself to be clear of this matter when actually <clears throat> he would have been guilty of extortion, of causing people to feel bad about not having given any any funds to the synagogue just so that he could benefit from those funds to his own living. He said, I'm thankful that I'm not unjust, that I'm unjust like like these other men. But the reality of, of the presentation that he makes before the Lord recognizes the unjust nature of his life as raising himself up to be equal with God above everyone else. He says, uh, I'm not an adulterer, and yet he's so much more in love with himself than he is in love with God. He's so much more in tune with his own will with his own work, with his own lavish ways, than he is serving the Lord. So, yeah, he's, he's really kind of guilty of adultery as he's put so many other things in his heart at a higher position than he has God. And he says, like this tax collector. Well, of course, his opinion of the tax collector already is one of such a low estate that he says, I don't even care about the guy. Uh, it matters not to me, as long as I'm not like this tax collector. But the problem is, is that he isn't like the tax collector. The problem is, is he's the total opposite of the tax collector. So let's look at him. Uh, well, before I look at the tax collector, let's consider the, the fasting principles of this dear Pharisee, as that twice in a week he would be found to be fasting. And, and that he would give tithes, of course, of all that he had possessed. But now consider this for a moment. In that he would give a tithe, but that he would be a Pharisee, the tithe that he would give would go into the coffers of the synagogue that would then be returned right back to him for the purpose of his living, for the purpose of his, of his uh, lavish enjoyment. So in that he would technically be tithing as he would receive of, of a blessing and that he would give a portion of that blessing back. Yet in the coffers of the synagogue that he's in charge of, he would easily receive that which he had given already plus that uh, portion of which everyone else had given. So he regularly is going to make back more than what he actually gave. Seems pretty tricky, doesn't it? But you see, he's not fooling God at all. In his estimation, just because he gave a portion of, his, of, of the money that he made for that week, even though he knows that he's going to get it right back, he thinks he's pleased God. But the point of his giving was not the point that God has established, and so God knew his heart, so he can't escape the point or reality that God didn't accept any that he had given. In fact, God isn't going to accept him lest he repent. But now, let's look at the tax collector in verse number 13. As recognized already in a state of humility, as the scripture would say, standing far off. And so he, he's not a man that would even find himself worthy to be able to approach 
the, the, the altar of the temple, he doesn't find himself even worthy to be in the house of God except for the fact that he's, he's a Jewish man that has the ability to come in. But he doesn't find himself as, as worthy to come in. And so you find him afar off, as the scripture reveals. But that he would not even lift up his eyes, it says, to heaven. His, the shame that exists inside of his heart is so great that his embarrassment to even show his face before the Lord would be evident that he would look down to the earth and that he would be so ashamed and that he would beat upon his breast and that would he cry out a simple plea, be merciful to me, in the acknowledgement that he is a sinner. Well, this, my friends, is a recognition of, of as simple as it can get, Repentance. This is the acknowledgement of, of where we belong before our Almighty God. We don't, we don't deserve to be able to sit down in a throne beside God, but that we would be even permitted to come into the throne room of God to present ourselves at the footstool of Jesus. We're not even worthy of that. Well, this tax collector recognizes his position before God. And he cries out simply for mercy because he knows that he doesn't have any, any standing. He knows he doesn't have any right to be able to ask for anything more. And that he simply rests in the hope that mercy would be granted to him because of the acknowledgement that he's a sinner. And this he cries to the Lord. Now, Jesus tells us that this man, this tax collector, in his acknowledgement of being a sinner, in his understanding of the necessity of mercy, this man receives mercy. This man is compassed by grace. And this man, as Jesus points out in verse number 14, he returns to his house justified. The concept of justification as a recognition that through repentance, God would wash us with the blood of his lamb and would cleanse us to a state of, of, of being literally clean in his presence, thus being just as if I'd never sinned. The concept of justified. And this man, through the repentance of his heart and the humility of his presence before God, would present him justified. However, we find that the, the Pharisee, would walk away certainly with his own conscience being lifted up in his self-righteousness, certainly that he would consider himself already justified simply by proxy of his office as a Pharisee, but that before God he would be considered proud and haughty and would be separated from the presence of the very God that he was crying out to, the very God he was praying to or talking with but that he would have no audience with that king because he's too busy being his own king to even accept the, the, the presence of God. And it's frightening what this, this parable that Jesus gives is frightening to consider in our own churches today the reality that, that there could be in the congregation those that, that would literally have created their own God based on themselves and that they would present themselves from week to week within the congregation 
just praising and justifying the created God that they had made that's based on themselves so that they may be able to receive praise and, and, and accolade from the, the, the congregation of them instead of God. Because it's rare in our congregations today to find someone so touched by the Word of God in the, in the message on Sunday that they present themselves at the altar before their king, not the pastor, but the very Lord God of that house, presenting themselves a sinner, crying out for mercy. And the reality is, is, is this is the truth for certainly the lost, but it's also the exact same truth for the children of God recognized as saved. For in that we still are sinners, though we are saved by grace, there are many ways in which we have offended our Father. And a reconciliation is necessary to be made in order to, to have a restored relationship with our Father. And we cannot say that through the week that we have not brought an offense unto our God because in that week it's very easily possible for us to have lived in unrighteous ways at points of time, told lies, done, done things unacceptable by the Word of God simply because we have not studied the Word of God to know what would be right to do for our Lord and what wouldn't, what would be right to be said for our Lord what wouldn't. The places that would be right to go and the things that we would be right to do. All of these things that we could know from God by the study of his word. But because we haven't invested our time and our lives in studying his word. And we're just relying on a, a message to be preached for us to be able to get it from, from week to week for maybe an hour. Certainly there are times that all, every one, every one of us that's watching this has offended our God. But rarely do we find ourselves at an altar like this tax collector, recognizing the sin of our lives and crying out for mercy from our God. Simply because we believe like the Pharisee that we already have an established connection with God and so there's nothing to worry about. There's, there's nothing to fear because God is just going to receive us, accept us, and, 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 and is just going to pour out his, his wealth and riches and glory and love to us. Uh, simply because we're his kids and there's nothing else that needs to be done in the matter. But that's not true. There are responsibilities to being a, a child of the king. There are responsibilities to Christianity. There are, there are rules. There are laws. There is, is our God to, to have to know to consider his ways. And it's unfortunate that many will not even care about that until the day in which they meet him and discover that this is something that they should have listened to, that this is something that they should have done. But it will be entirely too late then. There will be no means to be able to take it back. There will only be the certainty of judgment, even for the children of God. Now, granted, I would rather go through the judgment of the children of God than I would, would go through the judgment of the lost and those separated from God because that's just a lake of fire and an eternity, separation, an eternity of separation from God. But nevertheless, if I know to do good and I don't do it, then it is ascribed to me to be sin and, and that I would recognize the sin of my life and seek mercy from my Father, repenting. And how much of a clearer conscience would I have when I meet him in the day that I stand before the throne? Something to think about.
And by the way, Jesus makes this teaching and is very powerful. I want to I take you to a connecting scripture here in just a moment. But in this teaching, he says uh, in verse number 14, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I just want to uh, take you to a place that, that is uh, pretty powerful in this point that he makes in verse number 14 as being, let's see, James chapter number 4. In James chapter number 4 and verse number 6, it says, But God, it says, but he giveth more grace. Therefore it is said, God opposes the proud, or as would say in the King James Bible, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so as to recognize that, that in my position coming before God, that I would find myself like the tax collector more than the Pharisee, and that I would recognize that at any given point that I would come before God, that I come before him as a sinner. Yes, I realize that I'm connected to the Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I realize that I stand forgiven by, by Jesus Christ in my acceptance of his gift of salvation. I, I, I understand all of that, but it doesn't change the fact that, that our righteous and holy Father, who is now our Father as we have been adopted into his family through the Holy Spirit that we are sealed by until the day of redemption, praise God but that our Father would find offense with us because we have transgressed His law, we have transgressed His word, and we've, we've become at odds with God because we've lived this thing the way we've chosen to do so instead of obeying His word. And that we would indeed need to come before Him with a repentant heart like the tax collector in order to be able to make right the wrongs that we have done. For it is not God's fault, and it is not God's wrong. If ever we find ourselves in a position where we're at odds with God, it's certainly because we have done the wrong. We have failed our righteous and holy God. And so as to recognize that we need to come before him instead of bragging about how wonderful we are and how, how blessed we are that we're not like other people and how that we are uh, faithful to God and how we are just and how we are uh, not extortioners and like these other people that, that we obey the, the rules, we go to church, we teach a class, we're deacons, we're pastors, we're somebody, that we would realize that we're all equal at the foot of the cross as sinners. From the highest position of the church to the lowest position, we're equal at the foot of the cross, we're sinners. And each and every one of us needs to be forgiven because every single one of us is on a journey from the point of our salvation and growing in, in understanding and, and learning about what it means to be a child of God. Even, even the most experienced pastors, those that you would find like David Jeremiah having written their own study Bibles and John MacArthur and all of these other individuals who have written so much in, in the way of, of notes and books and all kinds of things that they would be venerated as the highest among pastors in our country. Even they haven't figured it all out yet. Even they are still striving to be a better child for the Lord than they were yesterday. Even they have not achieved perfection because they, of all people, should know 
What I'm telling you now is that we're all equal at the footstool of Christ as sinners in need of of mercy and repentance, the call of our soul. Guys, think about that. It's a very important point because it brings us to the next section of Scripture here at verses 15 to 17. Keep in mind, Jesus had just finished teaching between this tax collector and this Pharisee, and now uh, the the people that were gathered around Jesus since, what, uh, chapter 15? The people that are gathered around Jesus, they were bringing even bringing infants to him. Look at look at what it says in verse number 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, the disciples to him. He called them to him and said, "Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God." Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, now what kingdom are we referring to? Because here lately we've been talking a lot about the kingdom and, and in reference to the kingdom of God. But of course, now Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. Whereas just last Friday we saw that Jesus was speaking to Pharisees that he would be speaking about the kingdom of God in connection with what they believed to be the kingdom of God and that would be recognized in Revelation chapter number 20 of the millennial reign of Christ otherwise taught by Jesus in such chapters like Matthew 25 or Matthew 24 as being recognized the kingdom of heaven But here, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's speaking to them in reality to the kingdom that they are now part of through Jesus as being the kingdom of God which is recognized without without sight. This isn't a kingdom that can be seen with the naked eye but only experienced through the Holy Spirit. It is a kingdom that began with Jesus and the building of his disciples and thus to the apostles and so has spread through the world unto us today. And we are part of this kingdom. And that is the very kingdom of God that Jesus is referring to here. And the reason why I would say, let these children come to me, is because the nature of children is one of simple faith. As he describes, truly I say to you in verse number 17, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Is to recognize that that children are are very keen to pick up on, on the natures of people. Children, often you'll find them being afraid of someone and with good reason because that person could be uh, pretty creepy. Now, uh, to adults, it would be no different than any other person because we have become so desensitized to spiritual things as adults. Our, our educational systems and our, our entertainment systems have all super laden us with, with sensory input to the point where we are so desensitized to spiritual truth that, that it's really hard for us even to retain any scripture, understand the Bible, because the Bible is a book that is spiritually received. 
And if we are so laden down with all of the the false spiritual inputs from from television and from news and from from all of these different things that would just suck the the, the very nature of our brain right out of us and waste our lives in, in in chasing after these things, that we don't have any room for spiritual truth left. And so as we would find ourselves even dis- what, what would be a good word for it? Uh, completely absorbed. That would be a good word. That we would find ourselves completely absorbed even by our cellular devices and all the little apps that suck up most of our day as we're on those, those machines. That we wouldn't have time for the Word of God. That we wouldn't have time for the things of God. And thus, we wouldn't be able to know the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. We, we, we don't readily observe or pick up on the spiritual nuances of a person's life is to realize that they are a faithful child of God or a wayward one. It would be impossible for us to really be able to help each other because we're so invested in all of the sensory inputs that we don't really have an, an honest-to-goodness connection with God to even be able to hear His voice, even when we're praying. That's really something to think about. But children don't have that issue. Children haven't haven't learned yet to be absorbed by all of the environment around them. Children, especially when we're considering these people that were bringing infants to Jesus, these these children they haven't they haven't been able to become absorbed. They haven't learned these things yet, and so they're so very still attuned to the the spiritual reality of things. The the uh, attitude and presences of people. And so as these children would come to Jesus, the, these apostles just see this as a, as a nuisance. The apostles, they see this as a hindrance or as a bother. And so they're trying to stop these people from bringing children to Jesus because they, they figure that it's going to be irritating to Jesus. And, you know, since Jesus is such a good guy that he wouldn't say no to them, well, then the, the disciples feel like, well, we've got to say no for Jesus. So they, they, they try to hinder the people. But that's when they get their backside handed to them by Jesus because Jesus really loves these kids. He really wants fellowship with these kids. And what a treasure children truly are before the Lord. Now, it's very important to understand also that these children would not find a place of being a God to Jesus' heart, that he would not raise these children up or venerate them in the place of his father, certainly. Whereas we on earth have a tendency to be able to raise our children up as being more important in our heart than church of God or or any other thing that they would become, uh, we we rather as parents would become uh, completely absorbed in in our children, and that they would become gods to us. It's not the case, but that doesn't change the fact that Jesus truly loves his children, wants the best for them, and wants them to come to know the Father, wants them to come to know their salvation, which is standing right in front of them at this point. And so the disciples are going to have to learn a hard lesson. You know what? It may be important for us to learn a hard lesson, too. Because as we have children in our churches, it's very possible that we entertain the children more than share Jesus with the children, and that our efforts to entertain them, we might think that we're sharing the gospel, but the truth is we're not. We're just simply entertaining them for an hour while their parents are upstairs being entertained by a message. 
when it would be our given duty before the Lord to actually teach them the Bible, to actually teach them the things of God, no matter the age of the child, to teach them Scripture. So that, like the Scripture would tell us, as we train up a child in the way they should go. Well, what way should a child go as we train them but the way of God and the Bible? So at their earliest years, we should be teaching them Scripture. We should be teaching them the, the truth of biblical story. We should be teaching them the reality of God so that as they grow old, they won't be sucked into evolution. They won't be sucked into secularism. They won't be sucked into uh, any of these other uh, Near Eastern religions or any of those things, but that they would know their God, that they that they would see their parents know their God, that they would recognize the reality of God. Something that needs to be done more of in the house of God today, I do believe, for it isn't something that I've seen or experienced in many places that I've been. But I've also fought for the change, and I've seen it come, and I thank God for that. But it comes down, and he says, you let those children come to me, do not hinder them. Do not hinder your child's ability to know God. If they're asking you the question, parents, answer their question. Take time. And if you don't have an answer to the question, that's why you have a pastor. That's why you have a Bible. That's why you have a device that has the ability to, to, to be able to look up any question that could be asked of you to get an answer. You, you, you spend that time with that child, not hindering them from knowing God, but, but coming together with them to learn something maybe you didn't know so that you can show them how interested and how true you are to God that they learn to be true to God. Don't hinder them, because those are the ones that truly belong in the kingdom of God. That's a pretty sweet truth there. And so I'll read over this point in, in uh, Luke chapter number 18, and this will cover on Thursday or tomorrow. I'll read over from verse number 18 to verse number 30, and, and then we'll be done for the days dealing with this uh, rich guy that we already talked about, Mark, but we're going to look at this rich guy. And so this rich ruler, he asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Amen. Uh, by the way, Jesus is God. Now, this uh, rich young ruler here would, would see himself equal to the Pharisees, and as he would see himself equal to the Pharisees, he would see the Pharisees equal with God, which is why Jesus, being recognized as a rabbi and in consideration of being in the order of a Pharisee, that, uh, that he would be equal with God, and so he would call him a good teacher. But Jesus points this out to him and says, um, Only God is good. No Pharisee. No tax collector, no rich young ruler can find themselves in the same position of God. Only God alone is good. So are you acknowledging that I, Jesus, am God in connection? Are you? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And this young man said, All these I have kept from my youth. 
<laughs> Remember that uh, the Pharisees said, I'm glad I'm not like the other people. I'm glad I do all the right things and I'm not like this tax collector. Well, this young ruler here says the exact same thing. He said, oh, the commandments? No problem. I've kept all of those from my youth. Well, he just told a lie right there because he is found guilty to be a liar. He is found guilty of adultery. He is found guilty of dishonoring his father, recognized as God, dishonoring his his connection to mother as recognizing the, the temple or recognizing Israel as being the bride of God. So, you know, he is kind of guilty of these things. And, and so Jesus, when he heard this young man say, okay, I've kept the law, so I'm good to go. Jesus says to him, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Mm. And Jesus said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But I'm going to have to, to, to stop at this point, and we'll just pick up with this rich young ruler uh, tomorrow and, and just go through the, the teachings of this because it's just so powerful for us and it's very important for us to receive. So we'll, we'll definitely mark that. I've got it marked. We'll get into it. Uh, this on Thursday, so it'll be tomorrow. Uh, and, and Otherwise, let's just thank God for the blessing of the beautiful day that he's given us today. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done. We thank you for the teachings that Jesus would give us right now. Lord, your word is so rich, and it's so powerful. And there's so much, Lord, that we could miss if we just read over it, expecting to get a chapter in so that we could finish our Bible in a year. The connection of this, this Pharisee and the reality of the tax collector, the, the understanding of Jesus' teachings right after he reveals that to his disciples, that they would then try to hinder the children who, who represent the kingdom of God because of the simplicity of their faith as they come to Christ. And the reality, Lord, that, that we often make salvation so much more complicated in our lives than, than is necessary. So it, it would be a reality that as the gospel would come to our soul, that we would just recognize our need for Jesus and simply humbly come to him by faith, just like those children. For as Jesus would teach, unless someone comes to, to him like one of those children, they'll not have the kingdom of God. Well, in believing that I've done all these works like the rich man, that I got baptized, that I prayed a prayer, that I, that I, that I uh, had communion or, or, or did this thing or that thing or the other thing, that I would be now made righteous with God is recognized as, as walking away sorrowful like the rich young ruler because it's one thing that we've lacked is that we haven't surrendered our heart to Jesus. We haven't given our life. Father, we just pray that you give us wisdom on this and that we would be able to rejoice in the connection we have with your word tomorrow. And that, Lord, our lives could be used for your glory and your honor today. The rest of it, in the blessed name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And until tomorrow, I shall see you later. Take care now.